Welcome to the Not Old Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelsang, and this is episode number 476. As part of our Smithsonian Associates Healthy Living series, we've got two great interviews for you back-to-back. Hopefully, you've already listened to episode number 474 with Dr. Anthony Fauci, and today we're so fortunate to speak with actor Alan Alda, host of the Clear and Vivid podcast and co-founder of the Center for Communicating Science at Stony Brook University. Alan Alda knows his way around sharing tough scientific topics in clear and engaging ways. Together, Alan Alda and Dr. Fauci will be a perfect pairing to parse the intricacies of the virus that has held us in sway since March. So join me today for part two with Alan Alda and join both Dr. Fauci and Alan Alda for an evening of thoughtful, informative discussion on the topic gripping the country at Smithsonian Associates, September 23rd, 2020. There's also an opportunity following the presentation for Q&A. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show via internet phone, Alan Alda. Alan Alda, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm so happy to talk to you too. It's a Friday afternoon, kind of the end of a kind of a crazy week. So I just really want to start off our interview because I want to jump in and talk about science with you. But I want to make sure and start with how you're doing. How's your family? Everybody well? Everybody staying healthy during all of this? We're doing fine, but I've noticed something among my friends that that I didn't expect. If I ask them how they're doing, they say, okay. And for most of them, if I keep probing, I find that most of them are feeling low or a little depressed. So it, it, it's a common thing. I mean, it's a small sample I'm taking, obviously. But uh, I think it's hitting a lot of people in ways they didn't expect. I, for some reason, I feel fine. I like everyone else, or I hope like everyone else, I feel very, very bad at the numbers of sick and dead people. Um, but as far as getting through the process of, surviving during the uh, sequestration. That's okay with me. I'm, and we're doing fine with that. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Our audience is going to be so glad to hear that. We certainly love all that you do, and you're doing an awful lot of science work. You've done that for many, many years now. You're, of course, heading up the Alan Alda for Communicating Science. You're going to be talking science with Dr. Fauci at your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation. I wonder if you'd tell us a little bit about what you'll be discussing with Dr. Fauci. This is actually the fourth time I've had Dr. Fauci and I will have had a chance to talk before a microphone. I've, maybe more than four. I've, I've interviewed him twice for an Audible podcast that's coming out in the fall. And once or twice on my own podcast, Clear and Vivid, mm-hmm. I think He's been so active and he's been heroic in the way he's been delivering the much needed message about how, to, how everyone can stay safe and help one another stay safe during the uh, pandemic. What I'd like to hear from him as we talk, what he's able to tell us about the future, the deeper questions of how to cope with the pandemic. What's going to happen to us the next time a pandemic comes? Will we be better prepared? Or have we learned much from this that we can apply to the next situation that seems at the moment unknowable? To prepare for the unknowable is pretty hard, but 
maybe there are some things we've learned over the years with, with uh, other other outbreaks and pandemics, and especially this one. Not in my lifetime has anything hit us this hard. But it's interesting, as you know, as you hear stories about the 1918 flu pandemic, there were so many similarities, so many people wearing masks and some people uh, saying it's not important to wear a mask and that the communication problems still seem extremely important. And, and that's one of the things I wonder if we've learned about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned clear and vivid and I love that show. Congratulations. You get to interview Thank some. You. Yes. Really, it's a, it's a great program. Just, I just encourage my audience to check out Clear and Vivid with Alan Alda. You really get to talk to some wonderful people. I, I feel the same way. I get to talk to wonderful people like you and you have been communicating important scientific and ideas and discussion for many years. What I love about Clear and Vivid is I talk to smart people about a wide range of things. The thing that ties them all together is that they're in some way connected with communication because somehow I've fallen into this um, wonderful opportunity to explore better communication. And it, it affects all our lives in every way, whether it's in the bedroom or the boardroom or the kitchen or at the gas station. Everything we do involves better communication and we couldn't have a greater test of our communication skills than what we're going through right now. The idea that other people's lives depend on us still quite hasn't sunk in surprises me. It always is surprising to me too at my age. I'm I'm 63. I take care of children. I take care of parents. I think we are all taking care of each other right now and, and it is tough, but it Communication is so important and it's hard to communicate today. You you have this wonderful technique called the ALDA method. And I wonder if you'd, you'd tell our audience a little bit about it and why it's so important today, especially when communicating about science. I'm always embarrassed when it's referred to as the ALDA method <laughs> because uh, I don't, uh, I didn't name it the, the center that I helped establish 10 years ago, the ALDA Center for, for Communicating Science. Uh, at Stony Brook University, they decided to call what we do the older method. And, and in a way, it is kind of unique to us because we approach the problems of communication by starting with the basic need for contact with another person mm. the way I suggested from the beginning that we do and that, I, that we I trained the first trainers to do was to find that connection through the acting technique of improvisation. I believe, and our experience, I think, has borne this out, that the same way actors have to connect on the stage where they make full contact with one another, let the other person in, and most of all, let the other person affect them. If you and I were doing a scene, I wouldn't just be doing my part and you do your part and somehow they fit together. They fit together when I'm paying such close attention to you that I let you change my tone of voice as I react to you. The same way that actors on the stage are affected by each other and that's why the performance comes out of each of them. It's not just knowing your part and doing it a certain way. That's like saying if I figure out the best scientific message It'll be good for everybody I talk to. On the contrary, you have to respond to the audience, to the needs of the audience 
that you're talking to, and they're, they're different. They're unique for every audience. So we put them through experiences. We don't give them tips. They're experienced, sharpen their ability to connect and to connect with an audience. And that makes a big difference for doctors and nurses and for scientists trying to explain not only to the public what their science is and to policymakers like people in Congress, but also to one another. It's amazing how scientists in different fields need to collaborate, but often don't have a common reference point. And they're almost like two well-read lay people trying to communicate. And people in the same lab, oddly enough, can communicate even better once they learn to make better contact with one another. Developing a message for the public, you have to be able to change your message depending on who you're talking to. It's a broad brush. And I'm, I'm, I'm really glad we've trained 15,000 people in the past 10 years. And I think we've made a contribution. Well, congratulations for all of that work. And yes, most definitely, what a, what a huge contribution, I suppose. It's interesting to hear you talk a bit about the science in depth because the, the knowing, I think, is important. And you must feel that way about your own Parkinson's disease because the in-depth research that you've done in terms of communication has helped you understand your own disease. And, and I've read about you that understanding the disease has allowed you to understand it better so that it wasn't just viewed immediately as the worst case scenario. Because I had read enough to recognize a symptom that's not ordinarily a symptom, I wanted to get a a brain scan to see if I was right that I might have Parkinson's. And uh, I had also read enough to know that if I had it, which it turns out I did, that a tailored exercise program, a program tailored especially to that illness, was important to get into right away. And I could hold off the worst of, of it for probably years. And that's the way it's turned out. So it, it, it really is important to know things, but it's important to know things that are true. An awful lot of us know things that aren't true at times, including me, and at times, including everybody. There was a long time for several theories of how nature worked that just weren't true, but everybody ascribed to them because they, that's the best information they had at the time. And for those of us in the lay public, I think it's really important for us to keep track of what the latest science is for the benefit of our health and well-being, and to realize that it changes that there's nothing wrong with science because it keeps giving us a slightly different message each year. Mm. They should be doing that because they should be learning more and more about what they're trying to figure out. So if they say one year coffee is good for you and the next year they say, oh, oh coffee's not so good if you're worried about this, that doesn't mean that they don't know what they're talking about. It means that they're digging deeper into it and getting better research methods and looking at it in a different frame of reference. So it's, a, it's kind of a two-way street between us and science. Mm -hmm. There are many who are talking, uh, certainly this last week uh, has been the case, about this idea of, of trusting science. And there's almost this hostility towards science. Why do you think that is? I don't know why that is. 
and somehow the culture has lost touch, or at least part of the culture has lost touch with the value science has been to them in the very instruments that they're using to say that science doesn't work. These like like the internet and cell phones and social media, the very things they're using to complain about science as being ineffective were these things were invented by science. Mm-hmm. They were understood by science at its deepest level. There would be no GPS system without what Einstein discovered mathematically a hundred years ago. More than that. Mm-hmm. And why we've lost touch is I think it I think it's sort of beyond question now that the findings of science and the march toward truth that science represents, a greater understanding of nature with each as each year goes by, I think that's become politicized. And I, I think it is I think there's no doubt about that, that some of the disconnect between us and our well-being through science is because it's uh, politically useful to uh, to make that seem to be true that science has no place for us. It's not something we do in the rest of our lives. When we think about it, if you're not feeling well, you go to the doctor. You don't go to your accountant. And the trust we have in our personal physicians. It seems to me ought to be transferred to the people who are helping us stay healthy as a nation, as a culture. And we're not going to get there by wishing. We're going to get there by tried and true methods. Mm -hmm. Experience of science, the, the lifetimes that have been devoted to study and to understand how things work in the area of health alone really can't be ignored except at our peril, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. I think that what Dr. Fauci is doing is heroic. He's helping bring the message to the whole country and to the whole world about what we need to do to maintain our health. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where he gets the energy. He's indefatigable. He's, he's taking every chance he can to help us, to be our, our doctor, our nation's doctor. I'm, I'm so impressed with him. I'm so grateful to him. He's been at our bedside, in effect, so well and so long that he almost gave up his voice in the process. I couldn't be more grateful to him. We're grateful to you, too. We certainly just love your work and so appreciate all your emphasis on science. I guess I just have one final question for you. Maybe tell our audience many of whom are non-scientists, what what your invitation might be to them to start to experience science and to learn a little bit more about it? What would you tell them? It seems to me that we love detective stories. We love adventures. We love stories of heroic people who accomplish surprisingly great things. That's the story of science. The people who can tell us those stories, they ought to be given a chance to tell us those stories because there's nothing more entertaining to me than hearing about these discoveries, these amazing things that we understand about all of nature from the far reaches of the cosmos to the little cells inside our brain, the tiny, tiny 
particles inside an atom. We're missing out on something beautiful and exciting and fun if we don't look up the stories that can be told about science. And in the process of being entertained by it and having fun, we're liable to save our lives. I so appreciate your advice and time and, uh, and good words to us today. We're looking forward to seeing you here at the Smithsonian Associates, but thank you so much for your time this evening and be well, sir. Thank you very much. Good to talk to you, Paul. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. My thanks to Alan Alda for his work and willingness to join us today. My thanks as well to the wonderful Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. My thanks to you, our wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Remember, stay safe, everyone. Practice smart social distancing and talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody.